Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 111. Today is Sunday, September 10, 2017. Today's guest is an American organist and harpsichordist, Dr. Kathleen Scheide. Uh, she has uh, concertized as a harpsichord and organ soloist throughout the United States, Canada, uh, Mexico, Europe, Russia, the Far East, and the Caribbean. She has received touring artist grants uh, from the Arkansas Arts Council, California Arts Council, the American embassies in Prague and Vienna, and the Czech embassy in um, St. Petersburg. Dr. Scheide regularly performs uh, chamber music with ensembles such as uh, Le Mislange de Plaisir and Voix Seraphique on historic string keyboard instruments and as a due solisti, flute and organ with Czech flutist Zofia Volalkova. Scheide earned uh, degrees in early music with honors in organ performance um, at New England Conservatory and the University of Southern California. Um, her teachers have included John Gibbons and Cherry Rhodes. Uh, she teaches harpsichord at Westminster Choir College of Ryder University, Princeton, and teaches online and sometimes traditional classes for Rowan College at Burlington. She lives in a 17th century stone house, Wigan, and plays organ in the 1740s stone barn at the Church of the Loving Shepherd, Bornleaf, Westchester. A founding member of various early keyboard societies, Dr. Scheide has, was recently elected to a second term on the executive committee of the Philadelphia uh, chapter of American Guild of uh, Organists. She's also a past dean of the San Diego chapter. Dr. Scheide is also a published composer with a significant discography. Uh, her compositions have been made available through Darcy Press, E.C. Schirmer, Piano Press, Time Warner, Wayne Leopold, and World Library. Current commissions include a piece for the 10th anniversary of the Kimmel Center organ. Her recordings are available on Dutch HLM, Organ Historical Society, Palatine, and Raven labels. So in today's conversation, uh, Dr. Scheide shares her insights about her experiences uh, with pipe organ including her fascinations with uh, the Mazart stop at the beginning, Messian's uh, The Ascension Cycle, and Peter Eben's Labyrinth, and also about the trumpet and organ uh, experiences. At the end of this conversation, Dr. Scheider lists three steps in order to become a better organist. So make sure you listen to the very end and this will be a very inspiring conversation let's go to the show thank you so much kathleen for uh, joining this conversation i'm really delighted that we're able to uh, communicate across almost the globe half the globe and the technology technology works fine today and we'll be sharing our experiences about 
pipe organ playing. Perhaps uh, you can share the stories of uh, how you uh, overcome some some challenges in your practices. Maybe some things you currently are working on today and things like that. Okay, thank you so much, Kathleen, one more time and welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for inviting me. So let's start, Kathleen, with this question that's very interesting for um, introduction. Do you remember the story when somebody introduced you to the organ, to the pipe organ world, uh, maybe many years ago, and uh, you really probably first fell in love with this? Could you share the story with us? Um, I heard organs in churches, and I loved the colors, and I particularly remember, although of course I didn't know the name of it, I always loved when I heard the Nazard sound. That really enraptured me. Um, I played the piano as a child, but I maybe found it a little monochromatic, so when... Um, when I uh, began to study seriously, I studied harpsichord and and then organ. Okay. So how old were you when you first started to play harpsichord? I, um, I went to college as a, or conservatory technically, as a harpsichord major, having never really played the harpsichord before. I went two weeks before my audition and coached my pieces with, um, with a harpsichord teacher, with Helen Keeney. And then I took my audition and um, began study. And then I was studying um, organ at the same time, sometimes privately. And um, then uh, my graduate work was in organ. Right. And uh, you mentioned this Nassard stuff, right? This yes. uh, maybe flute-based fifth, right? What it yes. Is. Uh, so it's a peculiar stuff to be fascinated by, right, at the beginning. Yes, yes. It has a sort of hollow sound that I found very appealing. So there are certain, certain things, um, you know, I re of course, I remember sitting and hearing the Nazard sound, but I also have strong memories often of the first time that I heard certain famous organ works or um, the first time that I heard uh, the work of Messiaen. Uh-huh. Oh, and when did it happen uh, when you first uh, heard the work of Messian, Olivia Messian? I was, I would say, maybe 13 or 14, and um, I really didn't understand that I was hearing the work of a famous composer. I sort of felt that I had discovered him. <laughs> um, I, I loved it. Wonderful. Not so many young people know of Messian, right? That's we true. This joke, Messian, right? Yeah, yeah. At the time, certainly. Although now, sometimes, occasionally, I even think it sounds old-fashioned. You know, and, that, and there was certainly a time when it was so radical and still is to many listeners. And it depends on which piece, of course, as well. 
what piece of Messian did you first uh, hear? Uh, it was the Ascension Suite. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's a modern, moderately modern piece, not too, not too risky for the listener to hear, not too avant-garde, I would say. Right. Uh, what part, what movement fascinated you the most back then? I'm sorry, which... Uh, what, uh, oh, which, what which movement? Which movement, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, um, I think I felt strongly attracted to all of them, maybe not so much the, the final movement. But uh -huh. right from the beginning of, of the suite, um, it really drew me in. And then later, I, you know, was able to appreciate the, the final movement um, as well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is not so showy. What organ did you, uh, did you listen to, to it first? Uh, was it a live recording, live performance? or? It was a live performance, yeah. Mm -hmm. Was the room lively with lively acoustics? Was the room with lively acoustics? Or I'm thinking about that. I it it was at least reasonably lively, not totally dead. I looking back, I think it couldn't have been a great organ. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I didn't always know the difference. Right. It's it's funny uh, that sometimes Messian himself preferred uh, rather dry acoustics over uh, over uh, you know reverberant uh, spaces when uh, when the stops were available that he wanted you know the the nasads the tears the larigo those high pitch sounds mutations he loved those. Uh, but the room might have been very like like dead acoustic, but he's yes, yes. And I have to say, I don't necessarily mind always uh, a dry acoustic, especially of course for for practice. Um, yeah, but I think it's interesting that it, of course Messian is known for um, unusual use of mutations and and such stops and these were also the stops that first fascinated me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's right and uh, probably in the second movement right yes you have those um, strange mutations and uh, fluting in the in the pedals also with, with one one foot stop right again. interesting st uh, combinations he was experimenting at the time already Right. So, Kathleen, what was the first piece by Messian that, that you played in, in your life? Do you remember? Oh, it was also the Ascension Suite. <laughs> Not surprisingly. <laughs> I think it was an assignment, though. It's not as though I developed a lifelong obsession with it. I, you know, I think that that's often um, that or something from Nativity is, is where people... Uh, often mm -hmm. began. Although these are not the easiest pieces to start with, like Le Banquet Celeste or appar Apparition of the Church, Eternal Church might be easier side, yes. uh, technically. Yes, although I think um, 
uh, Messian is still not um, necessarily given to intermediate students. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yes. Was it easy for you to master the Ascension Suite or, or not so much? Especially the second moment, let's see. It, it was reasonably easy. It wasn't unusually difficult, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first played this suite, uh, the second movement especially, I discovered those strange uh, rhythmically, rhythmical uh, tuplets. Yes. Right? Three over four. Two, or two over three, it's easier. Yes, right? right. When you have to play four over three, it's... it's oh, yes, I, and I certainly remember working exactly on those rhythms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what helped you to, to master those rhythmical combinations? In that piece, I think it was really um, thoroughly learning each line separately so that not only did I have it in my ear, but the, the muscle movement was absolutely automatic. Um, I do also remember sitting down and figuring out the relationships and, and where notes would fall, um, in what sequence, but, um, but I think the independent, um, work was most important. And I think that's true for many rhythmic combinations, but um, not, not universally. Sometimes it's also good to understand the vertical relationships. That's they, have to be, they have to be locked in um, as well. The verticals have to cue off each other, certainly. That's certainly true, Kathleen, because uh, because probably we have to imagine that like three instruments are playing or, or three people are, are performing at the same time because there are three layers of, of uh, music there and each has its uh, own rhythmical values and sometimes they don't coincide. So as you're saying, we have to like, like separate each other uh, from each other, separate each line and then like automatically it will come together right. yes and sometimes if 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 everything is too perfectly vertically aligned it can sound mechanical um, so um, so it is nice sometimes even in an ensemble if there's a little bit of independent shaping as long as the instruments come together before too long, before the final cadence. But I think even when that happens um, in an organ trio or in keyboard music, if the hands separate a, a little bit in an expressive way, it can give the music more dimension. True. Uh, you're talking about this specific combination in the second movement. Uh, a lot of people struggle uh, with three over four and even five over four, right? It's, right. It's it's even more tricky. So so yes, it helps uh, sometimes to imagine that you are like improvising, right? Right. Uh, really very strict uh, because when we listen to Messian's personal recordings of similar pieces, 
he is quite free with rhythms, right? Right, right. This is true. This is surprisingly, I don't know if it's still true, but it used to be true, I think, of the French in general. Um, and maybe we Americans tend to be a little more mathematical. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, although he was very strict with his students and other people who tried to perform his music, himself, the composer, was quite... Free. Yes. So I don't know uh, how would... Maybe we could take him as an example or 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 maybe some... I know what we should do. We should try to do it as perfectly, right? And count, yes. uh, subdivide this to the smallest values but then later forget everything and uh, yes. play improvisation. Yes. That's like a um, compromise. Exactly. And he, oh, I don't know if this is um, disrespectful, but he, he may have had some limitations as a performer. Um, you know, not all composers do. I think we imagine that Bach surely didn't have any limitations right but um he did. He did. Yeah. Remember, remember he was think, uh, one of his harpsichord friends and in on one occasion you know he had this habit of jumping on the harpsichord and playing something like sight reading a new collection of of music on the harpsichord whenever he was visiting uh, some friends and on one time he was like uh, stumbling in one passage of one page Three times, actually, he had to go back and repeat and said out loud, and it was recorded like like in the memoir of some student that no, it's not possible to sight read everything per- perfectly, even for Bach. <laughs> That's true. I have not heard that story. That's great. What is the source? Well, I think uh, uh, we can find the uh, primary source materials in the. Bach documents, uh, uh, the new Bach reader, I think. Uh, okay. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's a great, great book. Yeah. Wonderful. So, uh, Kathleen, um, we have talked about Nassart, about uh, Messian. So, what happened later, uh, uh, right? Uh, uh, how did you cho- choose this profession as an organist? Uh, what did you, what motivated you to this path later? A purely love of the instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, really the instrument, I think, um, more than the, the, the literature. Um, so I love the harpsichord literature, um, but I love the colors of the organ. Right. And um, probably as a student, we all have like people who... Uh, whom we look up to, mentors, right? Did you have any mentors back then? Um, yes, I would just mention all my uh, teachers. So at New England Conservatory, I studied with Frank Taylor. Um, I also, at times when I was enrolled as a harpsichordist, uh, had some private lessons with Lois Regestein. And then I did my doctorate with Cherry Rhodes. Wonderful. So I think uh, these people had uh, some influence on you, right? Yes. uh, 
uh, of uh, who you are as a person, a human being, and even performer today. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. We need those uh, mentors, teachers, uh, and uh, their guidance is invaluable, I think, in, in every stage of our lives. Yes, uh, their guidance and their example. True. And it's great if they are performers too, right? Sometimes teachers might uh, get stuck in teaching mode and uh, sometimes uh, hesitate to perform themselves. But if, if they are performers, so it's even better, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. So, Kathleen, <clears throat> when you look at... Uh, your current situation as a performer, you, you probably have some, uh, uh, some angles that you want to play more, some, some specific repertoire. What, what is, do you have your favorite repertoire today? My favorite repertoire? Um, I have very wide tastes. No. Maybe... Um, uh, maybe there's a little hole in the middle somewhere with some of the 19th century music, but I play a lot of very early music. Um, I've had quite a few performances uh, recently of the, the large um, Eben Labyrinth cycle. Um, Great. Yeah. Um, I, and I... I do. I was, I'm sorry for interrupting. I did you hear composer himself perform this cycle? Yes, I did too. Improvised, right? Yes. Yes, and then but then there is um, then I think after he wrote it down, he stuck to his um, composition. That yeah. So I do also have a recording of of him playing. Mm -hmm. the published version. I've heard, uh, I think, uh, several performances of this work himself, uh, Peter Eben, and also, I think it was in one of the Eroy festivals, uh, some in Eastman School of Music, I think, uh, I think Johannes... Lungrian, I think, or Langrian uh, played this cycle with the narrator, uh, but that was like a ten years ago. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it's um, you know time marches on and and new works are um, don't remain new forever, but okay. it's still contemporary. I would still call it contemporary, even though he's no longer with us. Uh-huh, right. So, Kathleen, uh, have you performed the cycle already, or are you working on it currently? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I always have a narrator. Um, we did do one somewhat abbreviated performance um, where there wasn't really time to do all the movements, and, and the narrator only spoke maybe the first and last narration and that but everyone had the text to read mm -hmm. what it's a very interesting text as well people um really are able to follow and 
and uh, appreciate it. Would do you would you say that 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 the meaning of the text is depicted in music too? Definitely, yes, yes, it definitely is. I think, and um, and we uh, we have some interesting uh, connections um, with Pennsylvania and Comenius, uh, even, and um, some of the Moravians that came to this part of the world very early on. So um, there is even a, a statue of Comenius in the center of the town of Bethlehem. It's, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting for, for people as well. They, they may not, um, you know, uh, uh, well, some people surprisingly uh, know more about him than you would expect Americans to, and then others maybe have never heard of him, but are fascinated by the connection as well as by the content of the text. But we have traveled with this piece a bit too. Um, but since I'm here in Pennsylvania, I thought that was interesting to point out. Exactly. It's worth mentioning and recommending for people to uh, look into the text as well. Because if you just listen to the music, it's fascinating, right? Yes. The, the, the poly, polymodal, polytonal writing. Yes. Writing is, it's okay. It's, it's fascinating. Yes. But when you combine it with the text, it's even more powerful. It is. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that he... Um, I think he depicts it really so well. And the ultimate proof for me was that when I was first learning it, I had a dog, a greyhound, who I felt was really reacting to it. And she hated when I had to practice horror and swooning. She hated that movement and she would leave the room. And it was clear that her favorite movement was the wedding movement. And I could just begin a few chords and she would be right by my side. So I, I think he really found a universal expression, if even a greyhound can understand the emotions. It just reminds me your remark about this particular, um, particular dog experience. Osher and I, my wife and I, were practicing practicing uh, some Beethoven's uh, adagio uh, for four hands, you know, uh, for mechanical yes. clock. And we yes. played that together and we were practicing it on the piano, on the rusty uh, uh, old piano, which was untuned for uh, decades, probably. <laughs> so we got our dogs together and uh, you say you see she came like uh, from behind us and wanted to join in playing too <laughs> yeah yes they have good ears yeah yeah and sometimes uh, they start to howl right <laughs> to right to <laughs> wonderful um so uh, kathleen uh, what uh, what specifically fascinates you about the style of Eben? Do you know? Can you point out? Um, I 
think that, well, I used to travel to the Czech Republic very frequently. Um, and uh, so I play a number of the Czech composers. I think um, I, I maybe perhaps play more, for example, uh, Ropak and feel a strong affinity in, in general there. But I do think that the, the, the labyrinth particularly is is really a masterwork um mm-hmm. and uh yeah. yes you ever played uh, four biblical dances by eben i have not i'm familiar with them but i have not played them but yes yeah, sometimes he's very good at these descriptive um musical descriptions and yes it's audience very friendly and and uh, even loudest, the great cycle of loudest, even though technically it's very challenging, people in the audience really, really have great time listening to this. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, loudest probably was one of the trickiest pieces I ever played uh, from my entire repertoire, I would say. By Evan, because of rhythm. I, I can believe that. Yes, yes. Mm. yes. And I, fi- I find myself nodding, and of course, um, I need to speak out loud. <laughs> Great. But I agree with you. So, uh, Kathleen, um, uh, now uh, probably uh, a great. Uh, Great year is starting for you, right? The September and uh, the new fall, new beginnings. Do you have something? Uh, other other challenges that are coming up to you. Are you currently working on some concert and, and premieres today? Uh, yes, my next few concerts are uh, with harpsichord and um, chamber music. But I'm um, I'm learning some uh, some trumpet and organ repertoire. Um, I have some programs uh, coming up with the trumpeter that I work with at, at my church job. And um, so we have, uh, we have done some interesting things with small organ. Um, and uh, we have some opportunities to play with larger organs. And of course, I think larger organs, of course, balance better with a trumpet. But sometimes it's an interesting challenge. Um, I think we found more fascinating repertoire when we were working with the very small organ and had to work around those limitations. So we have learned some very, very interesting pieces. Um, One of my favorites is just, we were not able to play the whole um, suite with, um, with the small organ, but there is a movement. In fact, I can't even remember what collection it's from because we weren't able to explore it all, but there's a movement by Daniel Pinkham for only organ pedals and trumpet, and that was great fun. You know, some organists sometimes hesitate to play with with soloists, either uh, wind players or string players, because sometimes people say, oh, I want to be a virtuoso solo performer, right? And I would not uh, 
play with, uh, let's say, another virtuoso performer because he or she will steal the show, right? Uh, how do you feel about this today? Oh, I don't worry about that at all. I really enjoy um, uh, chamber music and um, uh, I've usually played with wind players. Uh, I also have a flute partner that I had played with for really decades. Um, and of course, when you're playing with a wind player, uh, whatever it is, but probably especially trumpet, they, they really do need to rest. And so there's room for your solo repertoire on the program. <laughs> you're never completely cut out. No, because, it, and for the listeners, it's... it's exactly. Better. And I think that wind instruments are great with organ because the organ is also a wind instrument. It just gives it a little more life. But um, I think that, um, that these combinations for me are, are very interesting. As much as I love strings, maybe with organ, I think it seems natural to pair with winds. Mm -hmm. Especially brass, I would say. Yes. Um, because these uh, reeds, uh, you, can, you can have a dialogue between trumpet and uh, reed of the organ stuff. Yes. Uh, yes. Or trombone. Uh, have you played, uh, by the way, um, Windows uh, about, uh, for, uh, after Mark Chagall uh, by Peter Evan? We have not because we have not played on a big enough organ, but we, we have the score. We've been hoarding the score. And so, yes. And so our biggest challenge for this season is that there's so much um, interesting, uh, more contemporary repertoire that, um, that we have to limit our choices so as not to completely assault the the audience with all you know dissonant repertory leave it to the for the future right the next yeah, exactly yes uh, you know it's you're absolutely right kathleen because uh, people can collaborate uh, as as yourself with other uh, instruments and uh, and uh, let's say in your case trumpet uh, and this collaboration is very artistically pleasing and if you of course, if you treat it uh, as a, as a uh, maybe um, artistically not very intricate repertoire forming, and you only play Ave Maria and Panis and Angelicus, then it's not interesting, right? For the right. for yourself and for the uh, audience. But if you dig up some old repertoire that have been uh, has been neglected, or maybe you uh, find new scores or even commission new pieces, then uh, something magical can happen, right? And you, yes. you uh, like remembered and associated with this duet. Yes. Mm -hmm. It becomes it becomes part of your brand. Yes. Wonderful. So I wish you all the best and success in artistic collaboration with other people. And uh, I think your audience will only enjoy it uh, a lot, uh, these combinations.
Yes, and it helps to build audience because you may be um, drawing not only organ aficionados, but um, uh, people that are following these other instruments or perhaps the friends and family of, of both performers. Well, exactly. Uh, have you played with percussion uh, player yet? Only a little bit, and that's that's great fun. Yeah, and it's also it's fun with um, uh, it's it's fun with uh, trumpet. We have included some percussion with um, with some of our trumpet programs, so um, it can work for. Um, maybe Renaissance dances and, and things of that sort, but then also some more contemporary music. I can only recommend uh, Landscapes of Patmos if you have a good per percussionist by Petr Eben. Yes. Uh, that's an amazing cycle and uh, absolutely amazing and colorful for the audience. Yeah. Yes. And both performers are equally important there and uh, and equally busy playing uh, artistic yes. challenging music. Yes, and it's a it's a it's a good contrast to the organ because um, that is the one sound that we don't have um, the the speech is less percussive than other keyboards. Um, but at the same time, percussion can stand up to the power of and volume of the organ. Mm -hmm. So Kathleen, uh, I've heard people say about organists that our, our uh, uh, normal career choices, regular career choices must be uh, like a, in three directions, we have to perform as um, concert organists, either solo or in other um, chamber ensembles. And then we have to be liturgical musicians too, and also teachers, right? Uh, teachers. Right. Uh, of students. Would you agree that uh, in your case, this trifold uh, path is also very prominent? Yes, I, I, I end up doing everything. I also compose. Um, so I, this is me personally, though. I think I have a lot of interests. So I think um, if someone uh, is happier being more focused within the organ world, that's also possible. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you compose, let's say, out of passion or you have a necessity? Let's say you maybe have a, a concert coming up and have a, 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 a slot for a new repertoire piece that you are thinking about and then you write it down. Um, I don't always, by any means, include my pieces on my... Um, uh, performances, um, but lately I've had um, a reasonably steady stream of commissions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I, I, I do know that sometimes people are interested to hear a performer's compositions, but there's also so much other music I want to play. Sure. 
sometimes you have to do like everything combinations of uh, of various repertoire and uh, maybe play your own piece in the middle of other fascinating repertoire right yes would you say kathleen that organists should uh, should not neglect composition and uh, should not be afraid of composition too and try try their hands of writing it writing down musical ideas of their own uh yes yes i i think probably we are all composers um and uh it just depends on what people's interests are i guess or um i'm sure we all feel that we're expressing ourselves through performing other people's music as well there are many means of expression mm-hmm. have you written compositions for other instruments or um, or ensembles other than organ I'm working on a commission for guitar quartet right now. So, yeah, I I have done some uh, other instruments and combinations. Right. It's it's uh, I think uh, if organists uh, would write only for the organ, then they would uh, remain primarily organ composers, right? But if you write like a little bit of everything, then you break up into the general music sphere, right? Yes, but certainly organ is specialized enough that it is, it's reasonable that so many of our organ composers are a little bit specialized or that so so many um, composers for the organ also play. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, people should not be afraid of composing, and if they even have a, a passion for other music, like uh, other instruments, and even vocal music or music, uh, why don't they try, right, uh, and uh, get better at this craft, right? Right, right. So Kathleen, talking about uh, becoming a better organist, uh, do you say that uh, your composition efforts and uh, um, processes have helped you to become a better organist today? That's a very interesting question. But I think only any experience can help you to become a better organist. Mm It certainly doesn't hurt. You know, I have never felt that it's taking time away from my practice or, or anything like that. It's, mm-hmm. You would probably agree with me because I also um, notice a similar thing. Uh, composing helped me to uh, read the challenging music better and to understand how the piece is put together. Much yes. more easy. Yes. Uh, then, because because we then uh, look at new scores not as performers, but maybe as uh, composers, right? Exactly. To decipher the musical code and story. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So Kathleen, uh, talking about becoming a better organist, what is number one uh, thing that uh, you would uh, think would be helpful for people to do in order to become a better organist today? What would they, how would they start? What's number one step, number first step? So you are assuming they already play and want to become better. Better. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that, um, that listening is so important, not becoming um, only stuck in the, in the organ world, but hearing all kinds of great music and performers and um, also being able to watch uh, great performers. So there's a trend to, you know, video project the organ player these days, right? Because we're so often in, in the loft. And um, as a performer, it can be nerve-wracking to have a camera on your hands. But I think um, for other organists, and it can even be distracting as an audience member, but at the same time, there's no doubt that you can learn by watching a great technician, right? Right. It's a great opportunity that we probably um, didn't have in uh, just a few decades past. Right. And uh, as you say, not being stuck in the organ world, but basically being uh, curious about what's happening in other spheres, in other uh, instruments, and even outside the musical world, right? You can yes. learn everywhere. Yes. Read Comenius, right? <laughs> exactly. Comenius is a great pedagogue. And uh, that's why EU, European Union, has the Comenius program for teachers today. Yes. <laughs> Good. Um, like, Erasmus, uh, like Erasmus program for students, exchange student uh, program. So Comenius is for... Uh, I think for exchange to exchange program for teachers in EU, I would say. Yes. Wonderful. What would be step number two, Kathleen? I'm sorry? What would be step number two to become? Oh, step number two, after we've heard all this great music. Well, you know, we do have to put it into practice. There's no substitute for just sitting down at the instrument and, and doing focused practice. And, and I think we all struggle to find the practice time, but we can mostly all benefit from more. Well, exactly. Because uh, if, you, if you take the great examples from other cultures, other worlds, other uh, instruments, and not apply into practice, it's just a waste of time, right? Right. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, definitely, whatever we learn, we have to practice and integrate and uh, internalize. Yes. With repetition, multiple repetition. 
and probably after that would be number three, right? Step number three. I'm very curious about that. Step number three. Um, well, I guess you have to try it out in the world, don't you? Yes. Play for, play for okay. others. Mm -hmm. Because if you're stuck in your practice room, then, you know, you might feel great about your practice and your pieces and your repertoire, but you don't know how you are really playing unless you're playing for others, right? Right, and you, your playing may not be the same, right? It's a little different experience playing for others, whether it's your family or your church congregation or a huge audience, um, any, any additional bodies that are listening can change your experience. So there's a level on which we have to all play for, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but that experience will be a little bit different. And of course, uh, uh, when you play for others, the experience is much different and you feel like, like somebody's watching you, right? And you maybe feel stressed out, right? Um, yes. How do you um, overcome this challenge of being... Uh, uh, this is basically performance anxiety. Do you have any performance anxieties of yourself? Um, well, yeah, I think we all have something, uh, whether it's anxiety or if concentration is not what you want it to be. I mean, ideally, um, it's it's a good thing to have the little extra edge or excitement that an audience can give you. And it's just finding that, that, that balance, um, you know, being able to appreciate the, the edge of live performance, um, but not, um, not letting it overwhelm. Uh, so I, I do think experience and preparation yeah, are helpful. And that, that's the slow answer, isn't it? <laughs> you can't really overcome this anxiety overnight, right? You have to get out there and practice and play for others many times, maybe 10, yes. maybe, maybe 50 times. And only then you become a little bit more secure and more relaxed. But probably this fear will never go away completely. Right, right. And it is so it is so helpful to have repeat performances, right? And sometimes that's a, a luxury um, that that we we can't all enjoy, but um, but that's that's when you really absorb a piece and the experience of playing it. Well, you're right, Kathleen, because uh, it's very practical. You learn um, like one hour of organ music per year and you travel the world uh, in different places and play this uh, repertoire, right? Maybe you adjust different instruments a little bit, right? Uh, adjust a piece here and there. But it could be done. It could be done. And you, f you feel much more uh, secure and at ease uh, at the beginning of your tour than 
at in uh, I, I mean uh, at the end of the tour right. The <laughs> right 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 um, although at the beginning would be also very exhilarating too because it's new fresh and exciting exactly yes mm -hmm. yes but i think if if one is bored by one's own performances then maybe you're in the wrong field i i think not too many of us feel that way thank you so much kathleen for these interesting and inspirational thoughts today we discuss uh, the intricate and fascinating Nassart stops uh, messian ascension suite and peter eben's styles and labyrinths and all kinds of chamber music that you are fascinated with and also your advice three-step advice into becoming a better organist which is of course listening to other music and putting it all into practice and remember to play for others thank you so much Kathleen. you are wonderful thank you it was very nice to meet you this way and before we end Kathleen would you be able to give us a link where uh, people could find you online maybe your your website your uh, social media profile youtube channel anything that people could click and yes absolutely my my website is my name kathleenshida.com um, and people will see it spelled out as they look up the podcast correct mm -hmm. so it's yeah. k k a K A T H L E E N S C H E I D E dot com. Wonderful. I'll put it into the description of this conversation and people could click and visit you online and say hello and thank thanks. Excellent. And you won't believe sometimes people from uh, distant and farthest places of the world will say hello to you because some thoughts that you said today will resonate uh, with somebody not everything maybe but they will pick up you know some little tidbits of of inspiration and will say hello to you not necessarily this week but uh, years and decades from now too i love that that's wonderful yes wonderful so please uh, our listeners visit kathleenscheider.com and get to know uh, our guest much better and of course uh, kathleen is active as a performer and you will hear a lot of uh, beautiful organ music there too and um, you will find out much more in greater detail about kathleen and what she does and what she is up to too in the future Thank you so much for the interview. Right. Thank you, Kathleen. And uh, good luck in your travels, in your premieres, in your collaboration with, uh, with the trumpet and other instruments. Enjoy uh, curiosity that you have into other spheres. And uh, let's stay in touch. And good luck with all your other podcasts. Thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening. 
and I'll catch you online really soon.